Amen. <clears throat> Thanks, guys, uh, for leading us. Um, it's good to be uh, back together in this building and in person. Um, and yes, it's a bit odd sitting far apart, right, and wearing masks and, and all of those things. And it's a, you know, it's a holiday weekend, so lots of folks are out of town. Um, and we know, as Emily said earlier, there's lots of folks that are staying cautious right now and are, and are at home, and that's totally fine. Um, but if you did make it here this morning, thanks for being here. Um, it's great to see you. Um, we are streaming this online, so uh, good to see everybody. Actually, I don't see you, but um, it's good to have you online watching uh, with us. Um, I never thought we would be a live streaming church, but here we are. Uh, so we're figuring that out as we go. So thanks for being patient with us um, as we figure out some of those things. Um, but we're kicking off a new uh, series today, and I'm excited about it. And um, I've been thinking about it because I, I remember uh, when I was a teenager, I vividly remember that whenever I would go out with friends, um, whenever I'd go to a friend's house or I would go uh, out and do something with my friends, my dad would say to me right before I walked out the door, he would say, Norton, remember who you are. Remember who you are. And I think he knew that because when you become a teenager, you have this tendency to go out and do um, stupid things, right? You go out and uh, you can do things that are not very wise, things that are dangerous, maybe things that are illegal, right? And um, you just tend to sometimes make poor decisions. And it's almost like my dad was saying like, hey, when you go out tonight and, and everybody says, hey, let's do this. And it's a really dumb thing. Just remember who you are. Remember you're the kind of person that doesn't do uh, things like that. And I think teenagers probably still need that advice today, probably not from parents because they're not going to listen to us, but maybe from grandparents or friends or mentors who can say to them in those pivotal years, like, figure out who you are and then don't forget that. Remember who you are. But that advice doesn't just go away when you turn 20, right? I think that when you become an adult, whether you're a young adult, a middle-aged adult, or an old adult, I think we also have the tendency to forget who we are, right? We, we get busy in our lives, and we're so busy that we never pause to actually remember who we are. And, and sometimes, without even realize it, realizing it, we can accept a distorted version of who we are. Or we can go through a, a, a difficult situation in our lives can go through a difficult season, maybe where work gets really hard or school gets hard or relationship doesn't work out, or we move to a new part of, of the country and we don't know anyone there and that's difficult. Or, or even in the last few months, there's this pandemic and that's turned everything upside down for so many of us. Or sometimes we just get stuck in the grind of life and it's like the grind of life starts to squeeze the life out of you and we forget who we are. And so we're kicking off a new series today, and we have very creatively entitled it, Remember Who You Are. And that's what we're going to do for the next four weeks, simply remember who, who we are. To remember who we are. And, and if you've been here, or you've been um, not here, but you've been joining us on Zoom, online for the last several months, we've been talking a whole lot about things that we feel like God calls us to do as followers of Jesus. So we went through a long series called Common Practices, where we talked about some of the most important practices or habits um, or rhythms that we can embrace in our lives. And I hope we didn't just go through that and then you said, that's fine, and we moved on to something else. I hope you realize those are things that we always need to be doing, and we're going to keep coming back to those practices and talking about them fairly frequently. 
And then the last two weeks, we talked about racism. And we said, there's some really important conversations that we need to be having right now. And maybe some things that all of us need to be doing. And so all of that has been really important. But for the next few weeks, we're not going to talk anymore about what we should do. We're just going to talk about who we are. Who we are. Now, today I want to read to you um, part of a psalm from the Old Testament. Um, Many of you know, if you've been going to church or you've read the Bible um, a lot in your life, you know that the psalms are partly prayers. They're just prayers that, that David or someone else prayed to God and then they got written down. And oftentimes these prayers were set to music and then they were sung as prayers. And so these words are more poetic Uh, They evoke different kinds of emotions. They're different than all the other writings that are collected in the Bible. And today I want to explore um, part of one of my favorite psalms. It's Psalm 139, um, and it's 24 verses, so we're not going to read the whole thing. Um, In the beginning, in fact, I'm just going to summarize it for you. David starts this long prayer or this song to God, and he reflects on two truths. The first is that God knows everything about me, and then the second is that God is everywhere. So he basically talks for a while about, God, you know everything about me, and you are everywhere. And that's probably, he believes this because his parents taught him that. He was raised a good Israelite, and his parents taught him about this God, Yahweh, that him and his people and his family worshiped. But he also probably just reflected on it, like philosophers have done for thousands of years. If there's a God who made this entire world then he knows everything about every part of this world. And he's everywhere in this world. And David at one point says, there's nowhere I can go where you're not, God. In fact, I can go to the darkest, scariest, loneliest place. And you're still there. And and at that point, David realizes a new truth. A truth that we're going to focus on this morning. A truth that was deeply personal and intimate for David, and it's deeply personal and intimate for every single one of us. Whether you're 8 years old or 80 years old. It's a truth that we often forget in life. It's a truth about who we are that we need to remember. Here's what David says. This is Psalm 139, verse 13, and I'm going to point out some things about some of these verses as we read them from the Hebrew. He says, for you created my inmost being, he's talking to God, remember, and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Have you ever thought about what you were like before you were born? Probably not. I mean, none of us ever think about that. We might reflect on our childhood, uh, scientists tell us that really our earliest memories come from when we're about three or four years old. Cognitively, we don't really remember anything before that. So we might reflect on our childhood. We might have seen photos of us when we were smaller or videos of us. We might have stories about us when we were babies or maybe even stories about when we were born. I was told the story when I was growing up that one night in 1973... Um, my mom was pregnant and my dad needed to fix the refrigerator. Something was wrong with our refrigerator door and it wouldn't close. And so he took the whole door off and he was in the process of fixing it. And my mom said, I'm going into labor. And my dad said, well, we can't just leave the door off the refrigerator. So I need to fix this. So I'll take you to the hospital in a couple of hours when I'm done with this project, right? That's a story I was told about 
how I came into this world. And we might have stories like that that are funny that we reflect on. But David goes back even farther to the nine months before he was born. The nine months when he was in his mother's womb, when he says, God, you were forming me. You were creating my inmost being. And that word in Hebrew means my kidneys and my internal organs. That's what it referred to. And David wasn't a doctor, but ancient Israelites weren't dumb, right? They knew that there were these parts inside of us, and those parts were being formed during those nine months. They were going from nothing to something. And he says, God, you are the one knitting me together. And this word knitting, um, it's just like it sounds. It's a sewing term. It means, God, you are sewing me together. You are knitting or you are even weaving me together. Like an artisan weaves a blanket or a garment, a beautiful blanket. You, God, you are knitting and weaving me together. Then he says this, Um, He says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. Uh, This phrase, fearfully and wonderfully made, maybe you've heard it before. If you grew up in church, you might have heard it. It's such a powerful phrase. When's the last time you actually stopped and you had this thought, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. In that whole phrase there, there's actually only two Hebrew words. Um, Hebrew's a little different than English. Words are more simple and straightforward, and they're chock full of a whole lot of meaning. And um, the word, the Hebrew word that we translate to be wonderfully made literally means to be set apart, to, to be differentiated from other things that have been made. For for something to be extraordinary, extraordinary means not ordinary, not like other things that are made. And then the word that we translate as fearfully means with a, a sense of awe or even awesomeness. It's that feeling you get if if you've ever been to Zion National Park. Anybody here been to Zion where you drive in and you first time you see those massive towers? Or if you've ever been in the Yosemite Valley, the first time you see El Capitan, you see those rocks and it's just you're filled with awe because these things are just, they're they're awesome. And that's what David is saying about himself. Now he's not saying that about his accomplishments. He's not saying that about the fact that he is now the king over Israel and he's in this huge leadership position. No, it has nothing to do with what he's done. He's saying, God, When you were knitting me together in my mother's womb, I was being extraordinarily set apart with awesomeness. I was being fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you know the truth that David is getting at here? That that every single one of us in the room or every single one of us listening today need to be reminded of? It's simply this that you are crafted. You are crafted. You are uniquely crafted by a master craftsman. You are uniquely woven together by a master weaver. Before you even breathed a breath, before your lungs could even 
work, before you had to face any of the challenges that life threw at you, and some of us faced challenges early on, some of us faced challenges into the very families that we were born into, before any of that happened, God was setting you apart. He was making you different. He was making you unique. He was making you with awe and awesomeness and wonder. You are being fearfully and wonderfully made by a master craftsman. And I think that's easy for us to forget uh, because for the most part now we live in a world of mass production. Things are mass produced and they're all the same, right? We all have the same kinds of phones. Many of us live in the same kinds of houses. If you look at the other houses on the street, they often look the same as the house where we live. We all buy a lot of the same kinds of products. And in the midst of so much mass production, it's easy to forget that you are unique, that you're different, that you were crafted in such a unique way in order to contribute something unique into the world or in order to contribute something different than anyone else can contribute to our world. That's why you are crafted by the master craftsman. Now David goes on and he reflects on how God does this. Look at what he says next. He says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. The word for frame there just refers to actually our bones, just like you would think, our our skeletal frame. No one else saw this skeletal frame being put together or being woven together. Only God saw it for nine months. And think about it. Back then, they didn't have ultrasound. They couldn't see pictures. All they could see was the first day when a baby was born. That was the first time they saw that this little body had all been put together. And David is saying that's that how that was all done was hidden from everyone else, but it wasn't hidden from God. He was there. He saw it all. It all happened in the secret place or in the the depths of the earth. These are poetic ways that David is just referring again to us being woven together in our mother's womb. And the word that he uses here for woven together is different from the word he used before for knitted. Uh, The word that's used here for woven together is is actually more detailed. It's a word that probably refers to something like that we would, if you're a crafty person, that we would call embroidery or needlepoint. It's at that level of detail. In fact, this Hebrew word is used all throughout the, the, the second part of the book of Exodus, which is this long, boring part of Exodus. Most of us skip over because it's this long description of the tabernacle and all the furnishings inside the tabernacle being made. And Moses at one point describes all the beautiful and colorful linens that are going to be inside this tabernacle and that those are going to be embroidered and beautifully made by the best craftsmen. David says, that's what God was doing with you when he created you. David goes on and he says this, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Saying, before my body was formed, when I was just an embryo, right? That's what this word unformed body just means. When I was just an embryo, you were weaving me together, God. 
David is thinking at this point, God, you knew what I would be like even at that point. You knew what kind of traits I would have. You knew what my personality would be like. You knew how clever I would be. You knew how strong I would be. You knew what my weaknesses would be. And in that sense, God, you could even see the shape of my life. You could see the days that lie in my future. And there's this word ordained in there. And, and I think the English word ordained often throws us off. It, it makes it sound like God predetermined everything, as if our lives were all predetermined and we have no control whatsoever. And that's not what David is saying at all. This word that we translate ordained, it's the same word that's used in Hebrew for whenever a potter sits down to begin molding the clay. It's the same word that's used whenever a woodworker sits down to carve a bowl from a piece of wood. You see, the potter and the woodworker, they have a vision for what they're about to create. They have intentions. They have, they have hopes and dreams for what this thing is going to look like. And in that sense, God is like our craftsman, and He has intentions for our lives. He, he, he has goals and dreams for our lives, and He can see the shape of our days in that sense. And, and He even made some decisions about us that would shape our days, Right? He made decisions about me. He, he made decisions about how fast I could run, how tall I would be, and what my athletic ability would be. And those decisions determined I would never be a professional basketball player, right? So he's made some decisions about us. And we can quibble with those decisions. We can say, God, why did you make me this way? But that wouldn't really help. Wouldn't it be so much better to embrace who God did make me to be? to embrace the fact that He made you unique and every single one of us different than all the rest of us. And, and, and the, the, the fact that He knows what the shape of our days might look like, that doesn't remove any responsibility on my part because He still gives me freedom. He still gives you opportunities. He gives you time. He gives you the choice to do with what He's given you however you want. And so the question is... <laughs> Are we going to partner with him in his intentions, in his dreams, in his goals, in his vision for our lives? Or will we just decide, you know what, I think I just want to be the person that I want to choose to be. I want to go my own way and maybe even be someone that you never made me to be. Uh, some of us have probably tried that at times in our lives. I know I have. In fact, maybe you've gone years trying to be your own person and do life your own way, and it didn't really work. It's just left you frustrated. Maybe you're here, or maybe you're listening, and you've just forgotten who you really are. Maybe you never even asked that question. Maybe you have never actually said out loud to God, hey God, who did you make me to be? God, how did you extraordinarily set me apart with awesomeness? How did you fearfully and wonderfully make me unique? Look at how God, uh, David finishes his thoughts on all of this. He says this, how precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. As, he, as he's thinking about how God saw us and God's intentions for us. He says, how precious 
or the way that you think about me, God, how deeply personal and intimate you know me, God. And, and there's a couple of Hebrew words I want to point out here because this word for thoughts can also mean intentions. It really can mean both things. And I think in, in light of the fact that what David was just saying about how God has intentions for the shape of our life, that's what he's focused on. How amazing are these intentions that you have for my life? And the word for precious here, it can mean precious in the sense of something being really valuable, so something being um, so dear to us that we cherish it, but it can also mean something being amazing, beyond description. Again, back to El Capitan or, or, or Zion National Park, it's, it's looking at those things and having a sense of awe and wonder, and it's almost as if that's what David is saying. I am in awe. How, how formidable are all of these intentions that you have for my life? I, I just, I can't, I can't even count or measure your vision for me, God. Listen, if you're watching today or you're listening, you need to remember, and I simply need to remember, that we're crafted by God. You are crafted uniquely and wonderfully and marvelously and amazingly and preciously and extraordinarily. And I think that's easy for us to forget. Especially as we get older, it's easy to forget because life becomes a set of routines. The days sort of just go together. The kids maybe move away and grow up. Work can become less meaningful the longer we do it. Or maybe after you retire, you're not really sure what your identity is wrapped up in anymore. So it's easy to forget this message that you are crafted, even though you've heard it all before, right? I mean, in fact, if you're here today and you're over 40, you heard this message from a minister at church all the time. And you might say, well, actually, I didn't grow up going to church. I never listened to ministers. Actually, you did. You did. You just didn't know it. Let, let me replay the message that one minister told you when you were a kid. Right? Mr. Rogers told us that all the time, that, that you're special, that you're unique, that you're one of a kind, that there's no one else in this world that's like you. And yet, for some reason, the older we get, the more we forget this. I think even if you're here today and you're younger, <clears throat> maybe you're in your teens or your 20s or your 30s, you tend to forget this truth that he told us, that you're special. 
Maybe it's not that you forget it. Maybe it's that you're working really hard to prove that this is true or to somehow achieve it, right? And you try to prove it by being successful. You try to prove you're special by making lots of money, by getting an amazing job, by being the person that everyone else expects and hopes that you'll be. Maybe you try to prove that you're special or you're unique by just the way you dress, clothes you wear, the way you appear to others, or, or the attitude or the image that you put on in front of others. And, and so much of the way that we often try to prove that we're unique or special is related to how other people see us. And that's why the core truth here is not simply that you are special. That's true, but it's not about trying to prove something and it's not about trying to achieve something. The core truth is that you are special because you are crafted by God. And it's not about what you do. It's not about how you dress. It's not about what you can accomplish and it's not about what other people think. You have worth and value because God gave it to you and because he made you that way. The master weaver wove you together and crafted you. And whether you're 16 or 40 or 60 or however old you are, he still has dreams and visions and intentions for your life. But partnering with Him in living those out begins with simply remembering this truth. So here's what I want you to do this week. I'm going to make it super easy for you. Here's your homework. Here's your assignment. I want you to just remember this message that you're crafted. And the way that you can remember it is if you want to go home and write it on a piece of paper and put it on the refrigerator, you can do that. Or if you drive around in your car a lot, you can write it on a piece of paper and put it on your dashboard so that you see it every time you get in your car. You can get a dry erase marker when you go home and just go into your bathroom and write it right on your mirror. So every single time you look in your mirror this week, you will see that message. You are crafted. Or, or here's a really easy way. What is the one thing that we look at like hundreds of times a day? Our phones, right? We pick up them up and we look at them. So here's what I want you to do. Um, you can just go to a link on our website. It's newdenver.org slash you are. It's as simple as that. newdenver.org slash you are. And there's several images there that just have the words you are crafted. And just click on one of those images and download it to your phone and save it as your wallpaper so that every single time this week when you pick up your phone and look at it, you will be reminded that you are are crafted. Wouldn't that be the easiest thing you've ever had to do at the end of a sermon? Right? This is going to take you like 15 seconds. I'm not going to ask you to confess any sin today. You don't have to pray today. You don't have to go talk to people about Jesus today. You don't have to solve the problems of racism in our country today. Like You don't have to do any of those things. All you have to do is spend 15 seconds downloading this image to your phone so that you will be reminded of this truth throughout this week. In fact, I'm going to give you permission. I'm going to pray in just a second. And if you want to pull out your phone while I'm praying and download it at that time, you can do that, right? Because it's that important. And it's something that we need to just keep remembering over and over and over. You are crafted by God. Let me pray for us. <clears throat> Lord, that message um, is so simple, and, and we make it complicated. 
and life complicates it, and we forget it. And so I just pray for anyone listening right now that if they need to hear this truth, that they would hear it today. I pray for all of us who think, maybe I don't need to hear this truth, or that's just easy, that we would know, we would deeply reflect on it. And we would consider what visions and intentions and dreams and passions you had when you wove each one of us together and the way that you delight in us when we live according to who you've made us to be. And so God, as we are here today listening as your sons and daughters, I pray that you would help us to embrace this truth deep in our hearts. Pray this in your name. Amen.